Genesis, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we will be, not Genesis. Are we in Genesis tonight? Yeah, that's right. Okay, good. I studied the right thing again. 46, I believe, and 47, if the Lord wills. We'll try to get through both of them. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we get to have together to worship you in spirit and truth, to uh, sing songs together, and, and uh, even those at home, online, watching, uh, where two or more are gathered, you're in our midst, and we know that you don't care whether it's virtual or whether it's in physical presence. You, you bypass all those things, so we thank you for that promise. And we trust in that, that you're with us. As we go through your word, we pray your Holy Spirit would teach us and lead us and guide us into all truth. Uh, we want to know you better. We want to understand our faith. We want to work out our own salvation and uh, we know that you do that um, by your Holy Spirit with the sword of the Spirit, which is your word. And so, God, open our ears, open our hearts, and help us to understand tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Jacob begins to make his trek to Egypt tonight. He's just been told that his son Joseph is alive and that he's going to see him again. And he just can't believe his news or the news. He's so excited to watch. To, to actually do something he never thought would happen. A lot of us have stories, um, a life that are, it's unbelievable. Sometimes I listen to some of the things that people go through, and, and it, it, it's not like one bad thing happened to them. It's like a bad thing, and, and then a worse thing, and then a worser thing, and things just go south, and it's like, I want them to come up for air, you know? I'm kind of alongside of them going, God, I can comfort them only so much, but we need a break here from this onslaught, this attack. Man, if you look at Joe, or uh, Jacob's life, what an attack he's had. What a life. I mean, right from the womb, he's grabbing onto people's feet, fighting for survival, you know? And after that, he has to buy birthrights from his brother because he's afraid he's going to get left out. A lot of this is his own doing, and, and, and a lot of people's hardships are their own doing. I understand that, but Jacob seems to have had a, an understanding with God, and he seems to have uh, understands that, and God has reached out to him to say, I'm with you like I was with your father and your grandfather, and I'm, I'm going to be with you. But even after those moments, you see him fighting with Laban and getting switched up with a different wife on the night of his marriage. I mean, come on, who could make this stuff up? And he's had nothing but hardship. Finally, he's got this son, Joseph, that's of the woman that he originally wanted to marry, Rachel. He's got some other boys, and he's fine with them too, but Rachel's the one he always wanted. And when he finally got that son, well, he doesn't come back home after he sent him out to go check on the other boys. So there's a little bit of guilt there. And so he's been living with this his whole life. He's had nothing but hardship his whole life. You can see why he toggles between being called Israel, governed by God, and Jacob, the deceiver. But he's just been told some really great news. The end of his story is good. The end of his story is great. It's a happy ending to Jacob's life. And I want you to know this before we get started in the Bible study today. Every one of our lives, no matter what we've lived in the past, no matter what hardships are coming in the future, 
all of our Christian lives have a happy ending. It may not be here, but read the end of Revelation. Read the last chapter of Revelation. God gives us hope so we can understand that no matter how bad it was here, he never promised us anything other than that. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. None of that should surprise us if fiery trials come our way. We're told that repeatedly, repeatedly. But he always gives us the end of the story at the end of Revelation that we're going to have a life that's absolutely unbelievable. And I say that because I believe it. But it's unbelievable how good it is. You're going to walk in, and it's it's like my son, JC, when he would open a present, he'd, he'd tear, and he'd tear, and he'd tear. We'd be like, dude, you just open it already. He was so excited about the gift, he'd peel it, peel it, and then try to guess. Stop it. Just open it and be surprised because that's the point. You're supposed to rip it and go, oh, and there's the label and you know what it is. And he'd, and he'd stop it. I think most of us are going to show up in heaven like this. I just, I can't look. I can't look. It's going to be so great. So chapter 46. So Israel, governed by God, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, exclamation point. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. I'll I'll start backwards. That last phrase is something maybe we're not familiar with, but the idea is when you die, your eyes are sometimes open, and somebody has to close your eyes for you. Joseph's going to close your eyes. You're going to see him, and he's going to bury you, and it'll be great. What's happening here? He stops in Beersheba, which is where his grandfather and his father both stopped at at different times and offered sacrifices to the true and living God. And there were three sacrifices that they would offer. One would be for sin, one would be for sanctification, and the other for peace. Same sacrifices that we offer up to God, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Why is Jacob offering sacrifices? Why isn't he just running down to Egypt? Well, he's not supposed to go to Egypt. He's supposed to stay in the land. He's supposed to occupy the land. He's supposed to walk to and fro. He's supposed to, he was ordered by God to, to do this thing. And as he gets excited about seeing his son Joseph and the boys have told him, we've got to go to Egypt to survive the land, he gets excited, packs up the gear, begins to walk, and there seems to be a pause, a moment of conscience. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, as much as I want to see my boy, and I do, is this God's will? an okay pause. I don't fault him for that. In fact, I'm kind of excited to see it, and I think that's why the scripture starts off, so Israel took. I'm governed by God now. I'm as excited about seeing my son as the next guy. The flesh wants to see my boy, but I'm also governed by God. Am I doing the right thing in God's eyes? Because it certainly isn't worth it to me to go against God's will to do something that I want. And so he stops to offer up sacrifices. The first sacrifice anybody has to offer up throughout the law, this is before the law, by the way, 
is a sacrifice of sin where you would pass your uh, hands, you would lay your hands on top of the sacrifice on its head and pass your sins symbolically to the animal. The animal gets slaughtered and so, and so dies your sins is the idea. The second sacrifice is a sacrifice of being consecrated to the Lord. Sanctified we use in the New Testament. To be set apart, to be used wholly and, and completely his for his purposes. The third would be the peace offering where you recognize what God's given you and you burn this beautiful meal with him and you share it with him, but he gets the fat, he gets the best. And it's a, a shared meal, but it's the peace offering. I know I have peace with God, but I also give back to him a portion of what he's given to me, is the idea. Acknowledging that God is the provider, which is exactly what we do. We have to come to Jesus Christ and pass our sins to him. And allow that to take place. Whether we understand it or not, that's our first sacrifice. That's the first understanding of Jesus is we have to pass our sins to him and let them go. We confess, we repent, we understand what the cross is. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's as if we placed our hands on his head and he's been killed and our sins have died with him. But the second thing we want to do with our lives, and maybe this is the part most of us struggle with and spend most of our time of our lives here, is sanctification, being set apart for him, being used completely and wholly his. Yeah, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad that first sacrifice is done, but there's another sacrifice. I no longer live for myself, but I live for God. The words that I speak should be pleasing to him, not to myself or anybody else. The honor that I give should be his. The glory that I give should be his in my life. Am I living an obedient life to the Lord? It's a second sacrifice because it denies our flesh. My flesh wants to do all these other things, which will get me hurt and damage me and all the, you know, all that. That's what my flesh wants to do. But I deny my flesh and it's no longer I that live, but Christ live in me. And I, I choose to live for the Lord. And that's a sacrifice we make each and every day. The third sacrifice is the peace sacrifice. Constantly recognizing I'm breathing. Today I'm breathing, and I recognize that. And I'm going to take my breath, and I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to use it to bring you glory, God. And every other thing he's ever given me, I will give back to him a portion of it anyway. I mean, I need to breathe for my own survival, granted. I need to eat for my own survival, granted. But I will do my best to do all that I do for him and to give him glory and credit. And so he does that. And in the process of doing all three of these sacrifices, that's why it's plural there. Verse two says, Jacob, Jacob. God calls out to him and he knows his name. I mean, it would have been great if he said Israel, Israel, but he didn't. He said, Jacob, Jacob. And I don't know why he does that. I don't know why God toggles between those two names with him, but he does. It's okay. It's between him and Jake. But Jacob, Jacob, he knows him by name. Sometimes I forget that. It's not, hey, puny human, puny, puny human, you know. <laughs> We're not that. The world tries to make us that. Satan tries to make us think that. Different theories taught in school are taught to diminish the value of the human. And the beauty that we have names and the creator knows our names. He doesn't know a cow's name. You may have given a cow a name. That's Bessie. God doesn't call it Bessie. It's a cow. But when it comes to people, 
He knows each and every one of us by name. He knows the number of the hairs on our head. And that's not to say that he's ever done that, but he, he loves us and knows us better than anybody or anything. And he makes that known to Jacob. Not Isaac's son, Isaac's son. Abraham's spawn, Abraham's seed. Nope. Jacob, Jacob, I know you. I know you like I knew your dad. I know you like I knew your grandpa. I know you. And he was excited to hear that. He says, here I am. And that's, a, that's more than what it means. Like, I'm over, not over here, God. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's, I have presented myself before you to do whatever you want to do with my life. Here I am. I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice to you. What's your will? What's your will? And so he said, I am God. The God of your father, yes, same one. Do not fear because he was fearful. So he wants to take that away from him. To go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation. I will go down with you. Not staying up here. I'm not sending you off. I'll be with you every step of the way. Because he wants this to be a complete joy. He doesn't want any guilt. He doesn't want any of those feelings that he's got. He doesn't want anything to ruin the moment of him seeing Joseph for the first time. He takes all of that away. God is interested in the small things, the emotions of the matter. Jacob was probably still going to go. I don't know. But there might be some guilt. There might be some doubt. There might be some... God says, wait, wait, wait. Before you get down there, let's take all of that away so that you can thoroughly and guilt-free and full of peace enjoy this moment, this reconciliation with your son, or this reunion with your son, I should say. And remember, this is speaking of Israel. Israel seeing their Messiah for the second time, but believing on him this time. Remember what this story is about. You get a heart and an understanding. Jacob, Jacob, deceiver, deceiver, Israel governed by God, presenting themselves to the Lord. I want you to go down. I'm going to be with you. And you're going to see your Messiah and you're going to love him and he's going to love you and you're going to fall upon each other and kiss and embrace and no one's going to break that up. Beautiful. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, verse 5, and the sons of Israel carried their father, Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. And now they're going to name them all. Okay, I'm not going to take the time to read them all, but you can if you'd like on your own. There's an interesting statistic, and, and I had it, and I'm going to pull it up on my phone because I I. I it wouldn't work to put it up on the screen and all that. I, I don't think. Maybe it would have, but I guess I didn't, I didn't take the time to do it. So I'll just read it to you. It says, if a child gets saved first in a family, 3.5% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved too. Maybe you've seen this. If the wife gets saved first, 17% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved also. But if the husband gets saved first, 93% of the time, the rest of the family gets saved. So important. Feminist movement or not, it's undeniable 
that men lead. They lead one way or the other. They'll lead their kids to go the wrong direction. They'll lead their kids to go the right direction. They'll lead their wives to go the wrong direction. They'll lead their, wi- lead their wives to go the right direction, and so on. So important to see Jacob taking the time to offer sacrifices. Every one of these sons are watching. Every one of these grandsons are watching. Every one of these granddaughters are watching. They're all watching grandpa, maybe for the first time in a long time, as he's been depressed for years after Joseph's death. Offer up sacrifices to God and to want to do God's will. And they saw that. They saw that. It's going to make an impact on all of them. It does make an impact on all of them. You being here tonight makes an impact on your kids or anybody that you brought. It makes an impact when you make God a priority in your life, not just in this moment, but in any moment in your life. People are watching. You're making an impact. So important. Jacob shows us that here. Now, verses 8 through 25 are the names of all the people and who they're associated with, and you know how good I am at pronunciation. So I will not torture you. Verse 26. And all the persons who went up with Jacob to Egypt who came from his body, so these are all his seed, he's he's beginning his little tribe here, who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. So 66 came from out there. Joseph and the two boys are waiting inside Egypt. So 66 plus three and his wife and so on. That's 70, 70. Neat. They get there. Verse 28, then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen, so don't have to travel all the way into Egypt. You can go ahead and see Goshen. That's the place you're going to settle. And remember that about Goshen. This is Joseph's idea, but he ran it by Egypt, or he ran it by Pharaoh first. He ran it by Pharaoh first. He was still being a very good employee and says, I would like you to, to, to stay there in Goshen. I will ask for Goshen for you. And he has granted that to you. Now they have to finalize things, but that was all done appropriately. Okay, He's not giving favoritism. He's just going through the proper channels. And so he takes him to Goshen, that place. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Not in Egypt, but where they're going to stay. I'll meet you. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I have seen your face because you are still alive. And sometimes they get a little dramatic for me, but I, I, can, I can understand this, I guess. When Joseph uh, was presumed dead, he basically said the same thing. I may as well have died also, you know. And what Jacob's getting at, of course, is saying, it's never going to get any worse than this. I have no reason to live. My son is dead. But also, on the other end of things, it's never going to get any better than this. I've seen my son Joseph, and he's lived. That's all I needed to see. I don't care about the gold, the chariots, his position, his power. None of that matters to me. I can smell my son. I can feel my son. A little less hairy than before. Remember, he's 
in Egyptian garb at this time, shaved from head to toe. But it's still him. I can die now, he says. It's all that matters to parents. Ah, you want them to do well. You want your kids to be self-sufficient. You want them to have good character. You want, But the most important thing you want for kids, you want them alive. And I know some of you may be struggling because you've had a loss of a child. I'm not looking at anybody. I don't even know if any of you are in the room right now. And I, so I understand that. But that's the most important thing. Bo got a new bike. How happy are we that Bo found a bike since everybody's out of bikes. Walmart's out of bikes. Target's out of bikes, you know. I hate to shop at the French store, but I had to go there to look for a bike. And so we're looking for bikes. You can't find one. So we found Horizon uh, Bike Store uh, down in St. Joe. And that's a plug. You guys owe me 20 bucks for putting that on there. Kidding. And they had bikes, really good bikes. So he's got a bike and I'm glad. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm in there and, and Bo's going down the gravel driveway and, and leaving. Oh, you know. Where's where's Bo going? Oh, he just Jenny, he just wanted to ride his bike down the L. Okay, is he gonna get hit by a car? Because nobody goes 25 miles an hour on market, but I'll try not to get on a soapbox about that. It's 25 miles an hour, folks, not 55 miles an hour. I'm glad he's enjoying his bike, but I don't care. I just want him back alive. You know, so dad throws up a quick prayer and tries to put it out of his mind and says, I've done it. He'll do it. He'll be fine. He just wants your kids alive. And that's how Joseph feels. I'm just glad he's alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men uh, are shepherds. Um, I'm going to tell them that. For their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have uh, brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what's your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, youth, even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." What's he doing here? Well, first of all, he doesn't want him to lie. Tell him who you are. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Imagine the, mag- the, the, the pomp and circumstance. You are in Egypt, which you could not even fathom the riches of Egypt at this time. In this world. We're talking white marble, gold everywhere, sphinx, you know, things like that. Uh, beautiful palaces, all this stuff. And then Pharaoh, of all Pharaohs, you know, he's considered a deity in their, in their eyes. He's God uh, of, of one of the many gods and all that. And just this huge thing, don't pretend to be something that you're not. Just be who you are, you know. Tell them who you are. And here's why. Because they think that shepherds are an abomination. It's are gross. Now, why is, he, why is he doing this? He doesn't want them intermingled. He's trying to keep them separate from Egypt. If Pharaoh, because Pharaoh, honestly, this Pharaoh, he's a great guy. Now, the next Pharaoh, the one that persecutes him after this guy dies, this is a terrible guy, but this is a great Pharaoh. He recognized Joseph. He understood he served a living God. He let him be in charge of everything because everything he touches is amazing because he's got such wisdom from God. Acknowledges that all the way. If he finds out that you're my dad, and he's going to pull you into the palace. He's going to have you live here, and you're going to be intermingled. You guys ain't going to have any hair anymore kind of thing. And Joseph knows that's a danger because 
Jacob is supposed to be in the land that he's been given. Jacob is not supposed to assimilate into this Egyptian culture and be lost, thus thwarting the plan of God. The Messiah has to come from Israelis, not from this group, and they'll get assimilated. Be separate. You're in Egypt for protection. God's provided that for you. I'm with you. I'm going to make you a great nation there, but don't assimilate into them. Don't become like them. Joseph has had some serious character tests. Never knowing if he's ever going to see his family again, being sold. He could be bitter about his history, bitter about his family name, bitter about his brothers. Bitter. I'm going to be Egyptian from this day forward. I renounce that, and I'm going to be Egyptian for the rest. He's never done that. He's always stayed true to who he was. No matter what they did to the outside of Joseph, he remains Hebrew. Very good. But I don't want you guys mixed up in that. So these guys will think you're the worst. Now, you know, Egyptians couldn't even eat with Hebrews because they thought they were better than them. The Egyptians thought they were better than them. But if you say that you're a shepherd, now we like shepherds. We know we need shepherds, but we don't want to live with shepherds. And so Joseph knows this is a great plan. So tell them that you're a shepherd. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh, and said, my father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come to the land of Canaan. Indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. Now, Goshen is a beautiful area. It's the, it's the delta of the Nile. So it's been well watered. It's probably the only place where there's green grass during this famine. Okay. And so they have got the best of all the best. Uh, the best grass, anyway, perfect for their occupation. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? We kind of do that too, don't we? So, we do. so what do you do for a living? Trying to g- gain a little insight into who this person is, you know? And it's interesting how we would judge, isn't it? I'm not going to name any occupations, but there are some occupations where you'd be like, oh, you're Alan state representative. He watches sometimes, so I'm giving him a hard time. Or your whatever. Some of your minds just went there. It's just built into us. That's the world in us. That's the world in us. It's sad, but it doesn't mean that's the kind of person you are, what you do, but that's how we start, isn't it? So what do you do for a living? Even on a plane when I'm sitting next to somebody, that's how it starts usually. What do you do for a living? And honestly, I'm a teacher. It's technically correct, right? Oh, you're a teacher. Yep. What do you teach? The Bible. Oh. Totally different from geography or social studies or, um, you know, arithmetic or math or whatever you would say. Nope. What do you do for a living? What's your occupation? They say to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. You can see them all take a step back here. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks. For the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. That's where we'd like to stay. I mean, if you're asking, that's be the best place for us. It's your call, though. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. You can see a smile on his face because he's telling him. I mean, it's not like Joseph doesn't know. Joseph, your father's here. So he's saying it differently. He's saying, Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. I mean, how great is that? You can see that in it. This is a good guy. 
kind of. I mean, you know, as good as pharaohs go. They've come to you. Uh, the land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. It's only a green spot around. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. You, got, you come from a good family, buddy. You know, they've got some leadership skills. If any of them are half as good as you, Joseph, put them in charge of my, you know, camels. I'd love it. Goats and sheep and cows and everything. Then Joseph brought his father, or in his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And now I read that with emphasis because remember what this looks like. Gold, marble. I mean, this is Pharaoh, 12,000 servants waiting there with pillows of whatever's on top of him, ready to serve him anything he needs. And in comes Hobble, you know, little Jacob, still leaning on his staff, you know, shuffling in. And he walks right up to this guy. You don't do this. And starts praying over the Pharaoh guy, you know, giving him some Hebrew blessing or something. And you got to see Pharaoh's face. I mean, I hope you can all see this. He's going, you know, what is this guy doing? You know, he's praying a blessing over me. All right, that's okay. I'll let him. You can see the guards going, you know, should we, you know, do we, st- secret service? He's touching him. You know, I, I love this scene. And as soon as he backs up, as soon as Jacob backs up, he looks at me and goes, how old are you, sir? It's respectful. It's respectful. Only Jacob could have gotten away with that scene right there. As he hobbled, this is my dad. Dad, oh, dad, no. He's laying hands on my boss, okay? You know? And this Pharaoh's a good guy, lets him do it. I'll take it. Man, I'll take it. How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days, this is what I was talking about earlier, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. That's how old he is. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh, And went out from before Pharaoh. What a great scene. Beautiful. Jacob is blessing him. And and everybody knows culturally that the greater blesses the lesser. Okay, we all know that. But there is a lot of gratitude in this blessing. I bet we can all feel it when you're reading the story. Thank you for taking care of my boy. Thank you for seeing in him what I've seen in him. Pharaoh has seen in Joseph exactly what dad saw in him leadership skills, unbelievable wisdom beyond his years. He gets it, and Joseph did. It wasn't made up. It wasn't like dad wanted the kid to run the business. He said, this is the best guy for the job, and Pharaoh saw it too. And so Jacob blesses Pharaoh in gratitude and thanksgiving. Verse 11, and Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Why does he put that there? Some of us would skip over that. In other words, he didn't give them favoritism. How many people do you have? That's how much food you give That's how, or get. That's how much food I've given everybody else. I'm going to give you the same. You don't get favoritism just because you're my kid. I'm equally distributing these 
foods. And, and he, he gets, he's got to have respect from the Egyptians when they see him do that. You know, it's not like, well, that's Joseph's dad. So, of course, he gets 10 times. Of course, he gets a gold chariot. None of that's happening. He treats them fairly. He doesn't consider him higher. Now, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So there, there's no more money left to buy food. Okay, that's the point. That's why he tells. So we're going to go through some steps here that Joseph does, and it's with wisdom, not with greed, that he does these things. Okay, so he's got all the money. You got to pay for it. At first, you're like, well, why doesn't he just give it away? I mean, that's not fair, taking advantage of some poor guy because he's down on his luck. There's wisdom here. You got to pay for what you're getting. If you don't pay for what you're getting, you don't have any sense of value. You don't have any sense of value for what that's worth. You didn't pay for it. You didn't buy it. It's free. And so therefore, you just keep getting more and more, gorging yourself. I've got to make the grain that we've collected the first seven years last for seven years. If I give it away, people keep coming back for food. This is not going to last. I've got to make them know this is going to cost you. And they treat it with care, with respect. They ration. You don't need another mouthful. You got enough, you know? So they're careful with what they do. We only have so many cows. We only have so much land. We only have so much money. We've got to make our stuff last long enough. So everybody's doing their part. Joseph is trying to help Egypt survive and the land of Canaan survive. So he's collected all the money. So when the money failed... In the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Now I guarantee you they walked away complaining, not understanding what he's doing. They're going to, this all this centralized power, all this money in one place. How much money does one guy need? Try not to put too fine a point on it tonight. But we need to understand that this is wisdom. So he gets all the livestock. The next thing, we move on to real estate. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we in our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So they're coming to him with, we've got, we know we're not going to get it for free. We're not even asking for it, but we've got some real estate. We've got ourselves. I guess we'll be slaves. Okay. Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon the land. So the land became Pharaoh's. 
And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. So he's doing this all under Pharaoh's authority. And they ate their rations, which Pharaoh had given them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. So they rationed, and they're being careful, and so on. He's got all the land. And then he moves them to the city. You guys need to get closer if we're going to keep doing this, keep distributing. We've only got a couple years left. It's going to make it more simple. We don't want to have to travel. We don't want to be you know, robbed. We don't, we don't have to arm guards. If you guys come into the cities, we can take care of you there. Now, it's not always going to be like this, but until we get through this seven years, it has to be like this. So move into the cities. He's just smart. Then Joseph said to the people, indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth, 20% to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your household as food for your little ones. He's rebuilding. He could charge them 80% tax. You guys just get 20%. Looks like we got all the land. All you guys are nothing but hired hands in Pharaoh's fields. You're the crop pickers, you know? You give us 80%, not what he does. I'm going to give you land. We just need 20% back to replenish. And you guys can keep four-fifths. You can keep the rest of it. It's all yours. Use it for seed. Don't forget that. You got to plant next year too. But he's starting things back up again. The economy's going to start kicking back into gear. The, fa- the, the, the famine is over through divine revelation. Joseph understands this, begins to save the people. He has literally saved their lives. Now, I don't know how many grumblers there are out there wondering about their cattle, wondering about their land, but he is giving it back to them and they're beginning to sow. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priests, only which did not become Pharaoh's. No more than that, just that 20%. That's all we need back from you. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. The nation of Israel is being born. It's beginning to ripen, so to speak. There's about a 6% growth at first, and it averages out to about 3%. We know that the men that leave Egypt 400 years from now are going to be 600,000. So then you've got the women, and then you've got the children. So we're guessing about 2 million at the end of 400 years. God has done something here. Now, they're going to be hard years. Make no mistake about it. It's going to be a difficult time for them. But that's what's happening. God's will is being done. A whole nation is being birthed. A nation big enough that when they leave, they can occupy Canaan. You can't occupy Canaan with 70 people, but you can occupy Canaan with 2 million people. You can hold the ground. You can populate it. You can grow there. And that's the plan. Verse 28, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. Yeah, we still don't know what that is. And deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. 
but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. I know we're leaving, Joseph says, or Jacob says. I know I'm not supposed to be here. I know this is temporary. God said he's going to build me a nation. He's going to make a nation out of my family here, and he's going to bring me back. And this is an act of faith. Don't let me be buried here. I mean, wrap me up or do whatever you have to do. But take me out when we leave. I don't want to be in one of those pointy, pyramid-y things over there, you know. Take me. Will you take me? And Joseph said, I will do as you have said, I promise. He said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now he's not dead yet. That happens in next week here. But that's where we leave off. He bows his head saying, it's a load off. I, I want to complete my journey buried in the land where I'm supposed to be with God. You know? And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of Joseph and Jacob's life and the story that you have there of how you're going to restore Israel to yourself, that one day they're going to see you. They're going to love you, and they're going to fall upon your neck, and you're going to fall upon their neck, and there's going to be a reunion like we've never seen before, and we will be cheerleaders. We'll be the audience. We'll be, the, be able to observe and watch and be joyful with them. Lord, help us to be a blessing now to those around us, whoever it may be, whoever's in front of us, God. Help us to be like... Joseph, always, always your servant, never letting his outward appearance or the culture that he's found himself immersed in change his inside, change his heart. He, would, he was always Hebrew. We thank you for that, God. We love your stories. We love your word. We know it's true. We thank you for sharing all of it with us, the nitty-gritty parts. We thank you for the happy ending that we have in you. We can't wait to be in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.